Bloody Elbow presents the Hey, Not the Face podcast. Your host is Bloody Elbow's chief financial columnist, John Nash. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Hey, Not the Face podcast, starring your esteemed host, Mr. John Nash, and your producer, aka me, Steffi Haynes. And John, I'm so excited for this because, you know, you have been doing my show for a long time and it's way past due for you to have your own show. I'm so happy to be a part of it. And I'm really stoked about our first topic. Oh, well, wow. I'm, I'm sweating bolts already. I, yeah, though you missed the subtitle of the show. It's the Hey Not the Face podcast, not about porn. Not about porn. Okay. We're not taking shots to the face in that regard. No, you don't have to go that far. I mean, I was leaving it to the imagination. That was the, that was the fun. That was the, I, the humor. You know what? I feel the need to just lay it yeah. all out there. Yes, yes. For our audience is probably not a bunch of degenerates. They need to know that. So we do have the most interesting topic, and it's hot right now. And it is about contract status and all things revolving around Nate Diaz and Francis Ngannou for our first episode. You put together a lot of good stuff, and my job here is to posit these topics to you and have you explain them. So our first question here is, what is Nate Diaz's current status, and what happens next? Oh, I, I have no idea. Show's over. Let's go. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, current status, he just fought out his last fight on his UFC contract. And so, based on the contract he has, the year he signed it, what happens next is there will be uh, uh, there's a 90-day exclusive negotiating period in that contract. So the UFC has the option of only negotiating with Diaz for those 90 days. After that, he's a, a restricted free agent. He can go out and negotiate with other promoters and sign a contract. But over the next year, the next 12 months, there will be a uh, the UFC will have a matching rights clause in the contract. They have the right to match. So whatever offer he gets, he has to present it to the UFC, and they have the right to match it. And if they do, he's back in the UFC. The matching period is a little different than the other. Well, yeah, there's an exclusive period, exclusive, not exclusive matching, exclusive negotiating period. Okay. I don't know if I misspoke earlier, but exclusive no, negotiating no, period. You did not. Okay, so that's the, that's a 90-day period where he's technically no longer signed, the, his contract's terminated, but he, the UFC, he can only negotiate a new contract with the UFC for those next 90 days unless the UFC waives it. Okay, so we have two entirely different periods there, and that is what I was going for. Yes. That my next question is kind of weird. I saw a tweet from Ariel Hawani that basically said that claims that Scott Coker is actually in discussion, in talks with Nate Diaz were patently untrue because of that negotiating period. It, yeah, I mean, uh, Hawani could be correct because if there's if they're still in the exclusive negotiation period, it's also possible the UFC waived it. And and they and they they aren't. I haven't heard either way. But Hawani's probably correct that they're not in serious discussions. The, the discussions to give Coker the discussions might be we reached out to find out what his contract situation is. Upon and, further review, that is what I saw. Is that he gave an interview saying that they had reached out but had not had word back. Yeah, so that they're reach they're reaching out might be them just feeling out to say what is your contract situation? Are we free to speak to you? What happens 
if someone is in that exclusive negotiating period and they decide to talk to someone else anyways? Well, that would be that would break the contract. It could be torturous interference. Uh, and so there's some le- legal repercussions of that. Uh, the court could block any contract they sign. So it's it, people will generally stay away from it. But there's there's legal ways to skirt that, too, to let people know that uh, what you're looking for and, and what might be out there. But, yeah, you're technically you cannot go speak to someone. Otherwise, it could be torturous interference. Tortious, right? Tortious. Tortious. I'm sorry. Tortious. And I'm on a court show and I screwed that up. Well, no, I just want to make sure that I'm uh, understanding you correctly. Why did it take so long for Nate Diaz to become a free agent? Because as I understand it, there is a sunset clause. So for those that have not listened to us in the past, please tell us what a sunset clause is and then go into detail about why Nate was so long to become a free agent? Well, first of all, a sunset clause is a provision in a contract. Usually it's a term for uh, for laws, for the government passes, but ter- it's a term in a contract that has a definitive end date. So if you sign a contract that allows the contract to be extended for various re- reasons or as options, the sunset clause still puts a termination date on that contract, even if those options extend past that. So that's what a sunset clause is. Diaz, though doesn't have a sunset clause. That is something the UFC added more recently. His contract is actually from 2016. He signed this contract before his second fight with Conor McGregor. So at UFC uh, 202. And so it starts the commencement date because their UFC contracts start the date they start counting is the day that you have your first fight. It started at UFC 202 and it's continued now for over six years. It was a five-fight, two-year deal. And so that five-fight, two-year deal has turned into a six-year, three-month deal. Wow. That's insane. Why was his contract extended in, in such fashion? Well, that's the, I guess you could look at the antitrust lawsuit. That's a big part of it, is the UFC has tolling provisions. So you, he has a two-year contract, and you would assume that a two-year contract only lasts two years. But every time Nate Diaz turns down a fight, they can extend that contract. They can extend it for the period that he's not available, he's injured, or for six months, whatever, six months minimum, too. And so if they offer Nate a fight and he turns it down, they could add, they could accrue that that time up. And so at the end, let's say he doesn't want to fight. It's not just they had six months. They go, we have built up time from before. We're going to keep adding that more. So it could be a year between your fights. And that's kind of what happened. With the Chimaya fight, they offered Chimaya. He turned it down. They extended six months, but they were able to hold on even long. They didn't have to offer him another fight in six months again. They could wait longer because they'd accrued so much time for tolling. And my understanding is that for a long time this year, they've been offering Nate Diaz other fights, but those other fights include an addendum that may, would sign him to a new contract with the UFC. And so if he wanted to fight Dustin Poirier, he'd have to sign a new contract with the UFC. And so they were holding out basically the Chamaya fight only to get out of his contract. Question. If he were to turn down fights and let's say he retired with that, that the lack of a sunset provision and say three years down the road, four years down the road, five years down the road, would he be able to come out of retirement and go somewhere else? No, we saw that unless the UFC waived the contract and released him. We saw it with his brother. His brother fought in, I think it was 2014, 
versus Anderson Silva. Mm-hmm. But and then he was under contract six years later, seven years later. I can't remember the exact point, but a, a tremendous long time. And then he, he had to come back and fight Robbie Lawler. He was still under UFC contract. And that was okay. And that's a separate contract. That wasn't a new contract. I'm that's just, not. Well, I think you might have said a new contract when he came back uh, finally because he wanted more money or a different version. But he he wasn't free. The, there was no no matter what. If he was ever going to fight again, he'd have to come back to the UFC under the terms he had before. Wow, I just can't get over that. Are there still people in the UFC outside of Nate and Nick that have those kind of deals still stuck to them? There's probably a few. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, a lot of the guys involved in the antitrust lawsuit were under these contracts. I mean, uh, Nate Corey still might. I don't know if they've officially ever released him. His contract might still be frozen from when he last fought in the UFC. Um, Heath Herring was released, but he was frozen for years and years and years until the UFC officially released him on their own. So there's there's probably fighters out there, uh, I guess, maybe because of the lawsuit, they might have gone back through it and released all the guys that have you know, been frozen for a long time. But generally, yeah, there, you know, there's there there were for years. You were talking people retired for five, six years were still under their UFC contract. Was this the loggerheads that Randy Couture was at with the UFC? Uh, more recently, are you talking about back in the 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 Emilianenko fight? Back when he was retired, he he quote retired, and then he was trying to get the Emilianenko fight trying to go other places, but he just couldn't and ended up coming back into the UFC. But was that the problem? Well, no, that was slightly different. We go to If we go to Randy, his contract situation, he was in a, a very particular spot because the UFC contracts were slightly different then, and they'd left, apparently, this is my understanding, is they left something of a loophole in them, that the language was different uh, and that there was a loophole, and Randy and his team saw that loophole and challenged the UFC, basically saying, we're resent, we're, we're we're renouncing our, our championship. We're no longer the champion. Uh, and we're going to sit out and our contract is going to, there's, there's, in other words, there was no provision that says the contract consent continues perpetually past that date. That's my understanding. I could be wrong because we don't have okay. the filings and complaints, but that's the understanding, the gist of it. But what happened then is Randy, what screwed Randy up more than anything is he, he, he broke a, a, his broadcast contract. Apparently, the, the UFC claimed he broke his broadcast contract. And so that led to them putting an injunction and then ruling to have the, the court case move from Texas to Nevada. And when it was moved to Nevada and he saw it would continue on and that he wouldn't get immediate injunctive relief, he decided to come back. But that was never settled. But that was there was a, a and I think um, George St. Pierre talked about it in an interview that he got a great deal coming out with the John Fitch fight because he was going to be a free agent. And that's because the UFC contract, they they uh, they made a mistake after buying Pride and and they're blowing up that they didn't change the, the verbiage on their contracts. And so a few of the champions had these these really decent contract by fighter terms. And since then, they've gone the opposite and really strengthened those contracts to make it basically for long periods of time impossible for fighters to get out of them. So basically, fighters can thank Randy Couture for these stringent contracts. Yes, he, he opened their <laughs> eyes to the possibility of what a fighter could do. Okay. Now, I do want to ask you about something that we've heard about and you could give us more detail on. And that is the three fights a year guarantee. Just last week, I was talking to someone about this and I was under the impression it was just twice a year, just every six months. So could you elaborate on the three fights a year guarantee, please? 
Well, there's no such thing as a three-fight-a-year guarantee. The UFC says that, but nowhere in the contract, and I've gone through the contracts, I've talked to managers, I've showed it to lawyers, nowhere does it say they have to give you three fights a year. In fact, there's nowhere do they say they have to give you any fights. Is you're contracted for them to, to present to you like five fights over two years, let's say. You divide that up, and it comes out to about, you know, it starts in the first fights. That means four fights over the next 24 months. So every six months, basically, they should be giving you a fight. But they don't have to do that. There's no term that there's nothing in the contract specifically says when they have to offer you a fight. What there is is a few things in there that dictate they have to give you enough time to pass the do your paperwork and prep. So you basically need I think it's five weeks. So they they have to give you at least five weeks to offer you a, a five weeks head uh, a warning. The fight has to be booked at least five weeks after they offered you. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's one thing they have to do. And so. That, but that opens up a wide range of area of time that they can give you the contract. The other thing is it's in the duration. So if something happens and you can't take a fight because you're injured, right, or you have a wedding or you're out of the country and don't have a visa, they can extend the contract for six months. They still have the time to offer you those fights during that time. Now, let's say you as a fighter are just waiting by the phone and you'll accept any offer they present to you and they never call you and they never extend your contract because you're unavailable. Well, they don't have to offer you a fight, any fight until that last fight. To, and that, I shouldn't say any fight at all until the contract's term of the termination date. So they have no tolling provision to extend it, but the termination date hits. They haven't given you any fights. What they, you can do then is you're allowed to go to arbitration and claim they didn't pay me. And then the UFC can settle and pay you out your basically your five, your five purses that they didn't give you fights for. But that's half your purses because, remember, it's, it's a, there's a win bonus. The bonus is included. Just the base pay, you'd get paid out. Oh, that is so awful. But I was close when I said around six months. I'm so yeah, exactly. That's I spitballed and got it right. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, but that, I mean that's the part too. Is it's every six months. Of, they always say three fights a year, but they're always counting. You know, the day it starts, the midpoint, and the end a, a year later. But then that means there's only two fights the next year hmm. because you've already, you know, you've had one in one calendar year. You can't you can't count it to, to, towards two calendar years. But, yeah, there's a lot of confusion about that. There's nothing that says they have to give you fights. There's nothing. People assume that if the UFC doesn't offer you a fight every six months, they have to pay you. They they don't have to pay you. They just have to get you, you those fights before the end of your uh, – the, the duration of your contract, which could be, you know, several years. That leads me to a, a side question here. I saw Francis Ngannou talking about how the UFC – has not offered him a, a new contract, has not made any offer to him. But he's in a unique situation because he had an injury coming out of that fight. Uh, I believe that was his last fight on his contract. There's so many moving parts here. So could you sort of break down his statements about not receiving a new deal? Well, they, they just haven't negotiated with him yet, I guess. They're not, they're, they're waiting him out. I don't know what they're, the UFC has no plans to resign him. They're just going to wait to the end and then make an offer before his contract's up. If they're, uh, if they're, the other possibility is they don't know how to handle the idea that he has a sunset clause on his contract. So his contract has a termination date. And uh, so there's that possibility too. Maybe they're playing a game of chicken trying to get Nagano to be convinced them that that sunset clause doesn't really exist, that they can extend the contract further. Or, or, or have make one extra step and, you know, go to court and say, listen, you, I need a determination on this contract. But so far, from everything I heard, they haven't made an offer. I imagine, though, as we get closer to that end date, there will be some negotiation, some talk. He's still under contract with the UFC, technically. 
because he was the champion when he fought out his contract, and it has there's a championship clause that extends that contract three fights or one year if you're the champion when the contract ends. So he fought his last fight, he was the champion. They extended it three fights or one year. What the whatever the shorter duration, but okay, here's the other trick. For people that say, oh, I, I won the championship, I can just sit out a year. No, if you don't accept fights, they can ex- still extend those championship fights six months every time you reject a fight. So that could, in theory, go in perpetuity. But here's what Nagano has. Nagano's contract says that there's an end date, a termination date on his contract five years after the start of it. And he started fighting. His first fight on that contract was January 2018. 2023, that contract will come to an end, according to the to the contract. Uh, I haven't seen his contract, but according to all the other UFC contracts I've seen since 2017, all of them have that. And Nganu confirmed in interviews that he has the sunset provision. GSP has confirmed he has it, too, to, to, as, a, as a note. So 2023 should come to an end. Now, that just is the, the – that terminates the – the portion of the contract that handles the duration of the fights, there's still other parts of the contract will still be in effect. The new contracts that I've seen have no exclusive negotiating period. So there's no wow. three month exclusive negotiating period in the new contracts, but there is the still the 12 month matching right clause. So it could be the UFC is going to wait for his contract in, wait to see if he gets an offer from someone else and decide if they want to match it or not. Wow, I I like the fact that they're not requiring the ninety day negotiating period anymore. That's pretty cool, at least. Yeah, well, there's a a lot of changes to these contracts, and what the changes obviously seem to be is a direct result of the UFC antitrust lawsuit. Because the the changes that I've seen is there's no longer an exclusive negotiating period in the contract. There's now a there's now a period where there's a termination date for the contract, uh, a sunset provision. There's also a sunset provision on retirement. So if you retire, it's the same thing, five years and you're done. There is, they give fighters the right to use some video footage for their own personal use. Uh, what's the other change that I saw that would, uh, and oh, and also there's a two, after you're done, your contract's done, the UFC only reta- retains your image rights for two more additional years. It's not perpetuity anymore. Oh, wow. So they can't, they can't put your image in those video games unless they come to you after two years. Yes, exactly. It doesn't go on forever like you used to. If you look, all those items were problems raised in the antitrust lawsuit. Those were things that were raised as concerns of why the UFC was exerting, exerting gaining monopoly, monopsony power over the market. And so what makes it obvious that this was done on, because of the antitrust lawsuit is the first lawsuit, the Kung Lee, John Fitch, Nate Corey lawsuit, was filed. The date that covers is from 2010 to 2017, the middle 2017 ends. Then C.B. Dalloway and Cajun Johnson filed a second lawsuit, right? And that lawsuit cut, takes up the antitrust lawsuit from mid-2017 till now. Well, by injecting, inserting those changes at that point, they've divided the two suits. The two classes are different because they have different terms. At least that's the attempt the UFC is trying to do. They have different terms to the, the to those two groups. So those are do, different. They're going to claim those are different classes, and possibly they're going to claim that any damages should be limited to that first group because we've stopped our behavior with the second group. Got a couple of quick side questions okay. here with the antitrust suit. It's clear that they're setting themselves up where that in the event they take a loss on this suit, it looks good when they make their summary judgment because they've made all these changes. 
Am I correct? We're getting close in the ballpark. That's why they're doing this. Yeah, that's exactly. That's one of the reasons they're doing it because let's say they, they think they're going to lose. Well, they can settle or lose the first suit and pay a ton of money, but it limits the damages just to the worst case scenario. Let's say they settle and they have to pay hundreds and hundreds of millions, or even if it goes to a, a judge, a real court ruling, and the court says you owe the fighters eight, the eight hundred million they claim you didn't have to pay them, and we're going to treble it to two point four billion. Tremendous amount of money. I don't think it'll get that far. I think they'll settle. So the damages it'd be even if you include from two thousand seventeen on, it'd be astronomical the damages we're talking billions of dollars now is the base that they're claiming the ufc is, owes the fighters and you treble that you're talking like six billion dollars the value of the company itself so it would it would it would put them out of business but if you limit the damages before 2017 it's a large amount of money several hundred billion even trebled i mean 100 million but even trebled it's gonna be a billion two billion but it's damages that worst case scenario they still the company can afford so if they can, let's say they settle with the fighters for before 2017 for 500, for one year of uh, profit or one year of uh, EBITDA margins for 500 million, it's a lot of money and it hurts, but it's, they wipe the slate clean and they can continue operating the way they are. My second and last question on the antitrust suit, if they win, are we going to see the contracts go back to the, the draconian era of the UFC? Well, if the fighters win, you're taking or if the UFC wins. If the UFC wins. If the UFC wins, uh, yes, it's possible the UFC will stop, will start, will will repeal some of the changes they've made. They'll feel we don't have to. We've won the case and these are not considered uh, violations. But of course, at that time, those changes might be baked into contracts and fighters expect them to be there. And so it might be harder for them to unwind what they did. All right. Now, we were to just talking about Francis Ngannou. I, I'm curious, what's different about Francis Ngannou's contract and Nate Diaz's contract? Well, we kind of went over it. The big thing is Francis Ngannou has a sunset clause. Where Francis' contract was eight fights, uh, 40 months, I believe it was, so three and a half years. But even with extensions and all these other things, tolling provisions, you know, he's been out injured, they can extend a champion clause. His contract ends at five years. Nate's contract was basically half the duration, five fights, two years, and they could const- extend it, extend it as long as they wanted until they he completed that contract. So that's the major difference. In fact, if Nate, you know, if that fight hadn't happened, Nate's contract probably would have extended further. Yeah. If, you know, if Nate had got injured or turned it down or if they canceled the card, uh, you know, they, they could have, there's a provision in their clause that says if the fight is, you know, canceled for rules beyond the UFC's control, but not because the UFC did, and which is they weren't responsible. It's Shemaev misweight, not them. Then they can extend it until they can put the fight back together. And so Nate would have still been under contract. But in Ghana's big difference, he has this sunset clause provision, and that's a, that's a game changer in many ways uh, for fighters because there's no longer it's a, still five years a long time. But there's still there's an option. There's a there's a window of possibility that there's an end. There's a there, on the rise and there's an end to my contract where old fighters. You know, we looked like I said, but Nick Diaz, he's under contract. He's he's tired, doesn't want to fight for those terms. He can sit out as long as he wants. He's never getting out of that deal. Question. Before this one-year exclusive matching period that Diaz and Ngannou are facing, why is it that they can't take on a sport outside of martial a mixed martial arts? Why can't one of them just go over and box Jake well, Paul? 
or because the contracts specifically include all that's other prize I, fighting that's exactly what i was going for yep it goes it includes boxing kickboxing uh, uh pro wrestling all that stuff's covered under it even pro wrestling even pro wrestling wow so ironclad i hate it i hate it all right how effective is Nganu's manager and Diaz's manager, are they handling business? I mean, I feel like Francis Nganu's manager is really getting down to the nitty gritty and doing good work. I'm, I don't know much about Diaz's management team. I know he has a, a, a manager and a contract negotiator. So uh, could you break those down for me? Well, I mean, it's hard to say without being privy to the negotiations themselves. But I have to give their management credit because their managers are taking advantage of the situation. Other fighters' managers would, in fact, I, I remember I did when I did an article about the Sunset Club, the change UFC contracts last year, and I spoke to some managers. Uh, they were not aware even of the clause. They didn't. In fact, they were surprised at some of the changes. They, it's like they hadn't been reading the contracts. They were so used to accepting mm-hmm. what the UFC offers, and that was a little shocking. So you got to give them credit. First, Markel Martin, got to give him credit because he was aware of this and he he mapped out Ngannou's career to give him a chance to fight out his contract and, and have much more leverage in negotiations. I mean, there'll be questions of what the leverage he has is, but still, he's got a chance to actually market himself much. He's not dealing with just one negotiation with, with one entity, the UFC. He has multiple parties, which always drives up your pay. So I got to give him a lot of credit because he was aware of that, paid attention, where a lot of management doesn't seem to be aware of that. And you have to give Diaz's management credit because as much as they've been stuck in a 2016 contract, they've also been strategic in only fighting him in big fights, limited number of fights, preserving his value, and now getting him out of the contract where he has a chance to probably box Jake Paul for a lot of money. So, uh, I mean, I got to give him credit that both of them have had the foresight to at least attempt this, where other management has, has been very clear that they will accept what the UFC offers. Which fighter has the better options or higher earning potential? Well, it's it's hard to say based on right now, because it depends on who their opponents are going to be. Uh, Diaz, I think, has the higher upside, because Diaz's potential opponent is Jake Paul. If Jake Paul can get not get humiliated against Anderson Silva, which is no done deal because there's a chance he might get humiliated by Mm -hmm. Anderson Silva, but there's also a chance because Anderson Silva's old, he might win or at least look acceptable. If Jake Paul and Diaz can have a fight, I think based on the interest shown by casuals, by traffic, by the interest that people out in the boxing world have said that there seems to be for that, that fight would do a lot of business. Uh, you're talking about, a, you know, let's say 700,000 pay-per-views minimum, maybe a million. So Diaz would make as much in one fight minimum as he's made his entire UFC career. That's a pretty good payday, potentially more. So that's the big one. And on top of that, he has other possible big fights afterwards, earning potential. You know, uh, PFL is sitting on a lot of money. He's not going to join the PFL tournament, but they want to start a pay-per-view. They're probably willing to throw out a lot of money to put a pay-per-view event with Nate Diaz headlining it. There's also the possibility down the line that Conor McGregor could be available to fight. Or he could negotiate with UFC if they want to put that Conor McGregor fight together. So there, he he definitely has probably bigger options. And Ganu, though, still has. There's the boxing potential. There's who knows what's happened with Tyson Fury if he's going to you know if he's going to be available to fight Ngannou anytime soon because he's got possibly a Joshua fight possibly a Usyk unification fight 
But if that fight happens, I, it's not going to be anywhere close to McGregor Mayweather, but it doesn't have to be for, for Nganu to make more than he ever did in the UFC or ever would make in the UFC. And then the other thing for Nganu is what other, what other MMA fighters are going to be available for him in an MMA fight? And if, if some other fighters are, have their contracts are coming to an end, then there's a possibility maybe he can get a big fight signed outside the UFC. How likely is the UFC to make offers that these guys can't refuse? Well, I guess they can always refuse it, but there's a good chance that the, especially, well, Diaz, I doubt the UFC is going to match him because Diaz is in a situation where he's going to want a split, a true split, not, you know, not like, uh, you know, five million in pay-per-view points. The the pay-per-view points is not a split. That's a bonus based on pay-per-view. He's going to want something like, I want a third of all the revenue for the event I'm on. Right. And something like that, the UFC is never going to agree to. Would they allow him maybe 15 percent? Oh, I, I, th- I don't think he would settle for that. I think truthfully, I think he's going to want, uh, let's say, a quarter minimum. Mm-hmm. But a We're quarter is. Yeah. So let's see. A quarter versus uh, McGregor is 100 to 150 million generated. That's, you know, uh, if it's 100 million, it's 25 million. If it's 150, it's 37.5 million. He gets McGregor is not going to accept less than that's where the can of worms opens for the UFC. And so McGregor is not going to accept less. So now you're talking about, you know, uh, we got to pay a lot more than we've ever paid up. It'd still be a very profitable event for the UFC, but it's not the margins they're used to or want to continue. Is there anything that would improve Big Francie or or Nate's? Or even other fighters' leverage with the UFC. Well, the the big leverage point for all of them is what other fighters are available to become free agents, and 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 these two guys, if they leave the UFC, that also gives other fighters more leverage. Uh, the big question I have: Conor McGregor signed a new contract at UFC 229 uh, against when he fought Khabib. That contract will be up next October if with that five-year sunset. Now, I haven't seen the contract. Who knows for sure? But the UFC, I, we know GSP has it. We know Ngannou has a sunset. I, I've seen other high-profile fighters with sunset. If the UFC did that move to negate the antitrust lawsuit, then it's almost impossible to think that they didn't include that in, in uh, Conor McGregor's contract as well. So it's possible Conor McGregor is a free agent next October. And that gives him tremendous leverage because, one, he can go leave the UFC and fight Nate Diaz and make a ton of money. Or him and Nate Diaz can go to the UFC and say, we're going to fight each other, but you got to, on terms, if you want to be involved in this fight, you got to give us very good terms. And so that's the that's the dilemma that uh, the UFC is going to find themselves next year, probably. Give me a fighter that we should be keeping an eye on to follow Nate and Francis Ngannou. Who is in the UFC right now? And let me take one off the table. Let's take Conor McGregor off the table. So taking those three out, which high-profile fighter should we be watching right now? Well, I'm going to name two because they're very similar, but one's obviously a bigger name. And that's at heavyweight. It's Stipe, Miocic, and uh, John Jones. Okay. Because I'm intrigued when I don't know exact date they signed their previous contracts. Uh, if if Miocic is working on the contract that he signed to go into the uh, DC fight for heavyweight in 2018, that means his sunset clause is up next summer. And Gano is similar. He has his, uh, I'm not exact sure the date, but it would be up t- 2023 or 2024. 
if that's the case, it might be worth those guys. In fact, maybe that's one of the reasons Miocic hasn't had another fight and why they keep to go. You know, there's always rumors that he's going to sign on for like an interim fight or title fight or, champ, you know, a title fight, but hasn't signed. Is he waiting out his contract? Is he waiting to see what happens in Ghana? Because if that happens, then there's the possibility that they could they could also fall in Ngannou and that an uh, Ngannou um, Stipe uh, rubber match could take place outside the UFC somewhere else. And 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 you know and people are like, well, like they obviously couldn't offer as much to the UFC. Well, the UFC easily could pay them more, but the UFC member pays them a small percentage, so you wouldn't have to do the numbers that the UFC does to, for those guys to make more outside the UFC. And that's what I'd be interested in seeing. I do have a, a, a slight backup question, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. in regards Nate Diaz. You talked about how the UFC doesn't actually have to make you fight offers as long as they make the offers within the allotted amount of time, right? I'm understanding that. Yeah, they, okay. there's no set period that they have to make this offer. They don't have to offer three fights a year. They just have to offer uh, the, the five fights by the end of the by the end of the duration of your contract. What about Nate saying that he had offered to fight this person and this person and this person, uh, how Dustin Poirier wanted to fight him, how Tony Ferguson had wanted to fight him and they were all a go and they were all, you know, mutually in agreement. Nate put that out there, like by virtue of him offering to fight that that should have satisfied the contract arrangement. I, I have to get your take on that real quick. Well, it, it doesn't satisfy because that's been an official offer from the UFC. But he's right, though. I mean, there were when people say Nate's turning all these fights down, he did not refuse to fight those guys. In fact, my understanding, could be wrong, but my understanding is that the UFC sent him an offer to fight Dustin Poirier or other fighters. But with that offer came an addendum, an mm-hmm. extension to his a new contract, basically attached to the offer. In other words, he would have to sign the the the, the bout agreement. He would have to sign a new contract to the UFC, extending his contract, like let's say three fights, uh, three new fights. And so he wouldn't be leaving the UFC. He wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't complete his contract and, and create a new add a new number of fights to his deal. And so, so yeah, so Nate Nate all these guys can agree to fight. But it's only at the UFC that's in their contract. They have to offer the fight. They get to choose. And they wanted him, apparently, to fight, as we know, Chemayev, which didn't happen because of a fluke and because the UFC, I mean, it turned out the best for Nate Diaz because the UFC had an event book. They sold tickets. They didn't want to refund this. They didn't want to get their fan base upset. They wanted to collect their 20, their 15 million or whatever they get from ESPN for the pay-per-view. So it's like, well, we got to give him a fight. And so it ended up being the best for him. And for the other fighters on that, that card, apparently. All right. Since Nate was the main event and Tony got to main event with him, what is the point situation since this was not a title fight? I'm not sure. I don't know what uh, typically the contract calls for that you get points only if you're a defending champion. Now, Diaz's contract said we know from the Conor McGregor, uh, he's, he's mentioned in the past that his contract's different, in fact, that he gets the pay-per-view bonuses and stuff uh, based on his card placement and, and for non-title fights. So he's getting pay-per-views. Ferguson, I imagine, I'm just going to take a guess here. If I'm, I'm guessing what he got, maybe all he got was to drive that Bentley around. But <laughs> I'm guessing going to say. That, they gave him a used Bentley to drive around. But I'm guessing to be in that he, he asked for that he get paid basically his 
uh, I'm hoping he asked for this. Maybe he didn't, but he got paid like he would if he was a champion. Because his contract probably has a provision that says if he's fighting in a title fight, he gets this pay bump. You know, I don't, let's say he gets 150, 150, and then in title fights, he would get 500,000 and the pay per view points. So let's hope he got something like that. Or maybe he had a flat, he asked for a flat amount of money. Give me an extra million. But I'm hoping he got a large sum of money. Me too. Well, John, this has been an awesome first episode. I learned a lot once again. What can we expect from you coming up? Because I know you have a show money in the works. Well, we might have a show money in the works. It's might. all dependent on the schedule of the other two guys. So we got to get Paul Gift available, who's, you know, he's just as lazy as I am. And Jason <laughs> Cruz has got a busy life. So we'll see. We got another one that I have. Uh, I'm on the uh if the shoe fits, if the shoes fit podcast with Alexi Old and Eugene Robinson, I don't know when I'm on. Not this week, but next week. You can find, I'm on Twitter. If you want people want to come to Twitter at Hey Not the Face, and I guess we have a we have a kind of a laid out a bunch of ideas for future podcasts. So we got those coming up too. Yes, and I'm really really stoked about that. So guys and gals that are listening, this is our first episode in the books, the Hey Not the Face podcast. So until next time. Please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>